So nice to know the end of the story, isn't it? Uh, The people on that Palm Sunday, that first Palm Sunday, didn't know the end of the story. Um, You know, I love this day. Tim did a great job of sort of getting us in the mood for Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is lamb, as they celebrate the Passover, is lamb selection day. The Sunday before, uh, Palm Sunday is the day that that all all, uh, Jews would pick that one perfect unblemished lamb to sacrifice as they celebrate Passover. I think that's huge. I think it's an incredible symbol. You know, God prepared the Israelites for centuries for what he was going to do when he was going to do it. They saw, they saw pictures of, of, of the crucifixion. We, we saw a couple weeks ago how uh, um, Jesus, in talking to Nicodemus, said that, 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 that the, the Son of God must be raised up just like the serpent was in the wilderness. I mean, over and over and over again, we see, we see pictures of what God was going to do. And, and honestly, <laughs> that day, Palm Sunday, the people, they didn't get it. They, they didn't get it. Uh, I want to jump right in into your notes here um, this morning. And the first, the first point this morning is, is it's the Lamb's Selection. The lamb selection. What we call Palm Sunday was the beginning, really, of the last week of Jesus' Jesus' life uh, before he's crucified. And I was confronted this week with the thought of, you know, we know exactly what happened on, well, we know a lot of what happened on Palm Sunday. Uh, We're we're a little bit familiar with Monday, Thursday, but it's not called that. It's called the Passover celebration or the Last Supper. Uh, We know kind of what Good Friday represents. Uh, Then nothing we know happened on Saturday. There's sort of this darkness over all Jesus' followers. And then, of course, Sunday is the great celebration. But what about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and all day Thursday? What happened in those four days, and were they really important, or were they they just sort of like that week before college finals? They call it dead week. You know, was it just sort of four meaningless days, or or did something happen that that was really important? And I think we're going to see that that it was really important. Um, Palm Sunday, of course, was important. It was, as I said, Lamb Selection Day. Um, This is the day that for hundreds of years, uh, the Jews selected an unblemished lamb that they would take into their home for four days, and then they would sacrifice it uh, as they remembered the Passover. And, And it wasn't a coincidence that it was that day, Lamb Selection Day, that Jesus, in fact, rode into Jerusalem. Huge symbolic significance for this. It, it always gives me goosebumps to think about God working in history and how Jesus went into Jerusalem that day. And, and it wasn't a coincidence that Jesus rode in on a donkey either. You know, it, it's, it's the day that him riding in fulfilled a 450 to 500 year old prophecy about the coming of Israel's king. Uh, Matthew recognized that that was exactly what happened when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. As, as he quotes uh, the book of Zechariah, uh, Matthew 21.56 says this, Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples then went as Jesus commanded them and, and found this, 
this donkey and, and uh, secured it for that day that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem. Now, that's how the people saw Jesus, was as their king. They saw Jesus as a king who would, just like they had been delivered from the Egyptians, would also be delivered from the Romans. They would be given their freedom back, their, their, their human freedom, their property. Um, that was the expectation that, that Jesus was greeted with on Palm Sunday. Uh, Matthew chapter 21, verse 8 says, A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. I mean, it was a frenzy. People were, I mean, it was, it was probably bigger than, than a Super Bowl ticker tape parade. Everybody was worshiping and praising and crying out, Hosanna, in fact, they were, they were repeating from a psalm, Psalm 118, which is considered to be a messianic psalm. Matthew records this as well in verse 9 of, of Matthew 21. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Oh, he was going to deliver them but from their sins as a sacrificial lamb, not as their human king, which is their expectation. Jesus on Lamb Selection Day, Palm Sunday, was indeed the sacrificial lamb. Now let's, let's take a look at these next four days, the four days. What happened on them and why were the next four days important? Well, knowing why Palm Sunday is important is easy enough. Uh, it's, it's easy to see the symbolism there. It's, it's clearly explained in all four Gospels, but Monday through Thursday, aside from the significance of each individual event in each day, is there a common theme that holds them all together? And in many ways, Jesus, our Passover lamb, mirrors that first Passover lamb you see, they were both four-day lambs. Think back to Egypt, 1500 BC. God is about to bring judgment and tells his people, here's what I want you to do, and here's how you are going to escape this judgment that's coming down on the Pharaoh and his people. God was going to bring a severe judgment on them because of their refusal to free his people so that they could travel to the promised land. Nine times Moses tries to convince the Pharaoh to let his people go. Nine times they, they experience some sort of judgment, some plague. And then finally, God says, here's the final straw, if you will. The firstborn son of every family in Egypt is going to die. And in order to spare his people, God forewarned them how they could escape. He gave them specific instructions on what to do. And it's described in Exodus 12, 1 through 13. I'm just going to take the, kind of the most important 
points out of those 13 verses. I don't have time this morning to to read the whole passage. On the 10th day of this month, each family, God said, must choose a lamb. The animal you select must be with no defects. Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of this first month. Choose the one-year-old lamb. It's got to be perfect, unblemished. Keep him in your home for four days, and then you are to sacrifice him. Now, my brother Dean uh, got a goat the other day, and, he's, and he, he told us, us brothers, hey, I got a goat. And our response was, so where are you going to keep him? He said, in my room. And I said, well, what about the smell? He said, oh, he'll get used to it. <laughs> now, all kidding aside, <clears throat> can you imagine keeping a one-year-old lamb in your home, this lamb has never been in your home before. You have never had an animal in your home before. You are in Egypt, probably, well, you're a slave, so you probably don't have a huge home. It's not like you can keep him in the front room or the porch. He's in your home for four days. What do you think might be the experience of that family in the midst of that four days? Um, number one, they're going to get to know the lamb well, right? Kids, Kids could possibly get attached to it. I guarantee you the conversation at the water cooler every day for the next three days is, hey, how's that lamb doing in your home? What's, what's been your experience? It, the lamb become, became the center of the focus, probably, of these families. I mean, this lamb was a nonstop audiovisual reminder of the imminent divine judgment that was about to occur in Egypt. Children were probably asking, why do we have this lamb in the house? I mean, he's cute and all, but he stinks. Parents would probably reply, because God is going to bring judgment, and this lamb somehow is going to save us from that judgment. The lamb, of course, as I said, was inspected thoroughly for perfection. I mean, there could... Nobody wanted to take a chance here, right? I mean, this is pretty important. The stakes were too high. Now, let's fast forward to, to Jerusalem 30 to 33 AD. For, for four days, Monday through Thursday, Jesus lived in and among the people in Jerusalem and the surrounding area. For four days. What was true for the Passover, for that first Passover lamb, I think was also true for Jesus. And he intentionally drew everybody's attention to the judgment of God in those four days. Jesus was a nonstop audiovisual, forcing people to focus on him during their Passover events. In fact, they went from a frenzy for him to a frenzy against him. And why? Because Jesus said, I'm not who you expect that I am. I didn't come here to do what you want me to come here to do. I came here to do what I must do. Matthew records, for instance, 
In Matthew 21, 18 through 19, Jesus withering the fig tree for failing to give fruit, which was a picture of judgment on a nation who, who gave the appearance of religion but was empty of devotion to God. Matthew 21, 12 through 17, Jesus fiercely cleansed the temple by knocking over the tables and chasing out the money changers. This is in the four days. He severely rebuked the priests and elders in his public sermon with a scathing reprimand of seven woes, Matthew 23. He taught about the coming judgment at the end of the world. I mean, he, he spoke against the temple of God, right? Said no stone will be left standing. He wasn't talking at that time about the literal temple, but himself. And in many other instances, Jesus not only incited opinion for or against him as Passover drew near, but in those four days, he disappointed the people. You know, I... I I read an article this week in uh, Christianity Today, and they this 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 author talked about how he 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 came down with a with a, a chronic illness, a chronic pain illness, and he couldn't figure out what was wrong. For years, he tried to figure out what was wrong, and now just lives with this pain. But before that pain, he, he felt like good good things were happening in his life. And, and he talks about how when we, we have an expectation of something, uh, maybe to win a game or, or, or uh, we have our hope in somebody to do in something in particular and they do it, there's this shot of dopamine that happens in our mind, in our, in our actual brain. And he said it's equally and doubly as true when we are disappointed by something. There's this, this different shot of dopamine in a different place in in our brain, and it confuses us, and it disappoints us, and that's exactly what happened to the people in Jerusalem. They had this expectation, and on Palm Sunday, they are feeling it. And then for the next three and a half, three and three-quarter days, Jesus brings them actually to reality. He breaks their illusion of why he came, and they don't like it. Do, I mean, do you like it when you expect a certain thing from God and he doesn't do what you expected him to? That's disappointing. It, and and it, it, can, it can cause us just as quickly as we turned to Jesus and praised him when good things were happening. It can lead us in the other direction just as it... I mean. We often say, how come they didn't see it? How come they didn't see it? How come they didn't see it? Yes, why didn't they see it? But they didn't. And if we were in that same position, what would we have been crying on that day when Jesus, this same crowd, cried out, crucify him, turn free the criminal and crucify Jesus. Jesus wasn't what they expected him to be, nor what they wanted him to be, and at the end of the week, he died as God's Passover lamb. 
Now, Jesus was thoroughly examined and passed inspection. He proved himself perfect without defect. In time and time again, we hear uh, from the Gospel of Mark, we read opinions by people from every socioeconomic, political, even religious segment of society who examined and cross-examined Jesus. We hear statements like, the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Even the Pharisees and the Herodians were amazed with what Jesus was doing and with what he was saying. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Mark 12, 34 says, Mark 12, 37, the large crowd listened to him with delight. A summary of the lifelong blamelessness and perfection of Jesus climaxed in the declaration of Pilate as recorded by Luke in, in Luke 23, 4. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. Nothing. Not even an unpaid parking ticket. He was perfect. 1 Peter 1.19, and I, I just really like this verse. Maybe you could grab onto this for the week. With irrefutable reason and evidence, Peter declares Jesus a lamb without blemish or defect. One one final thing about those four days. I bet it was easy, again, for families to become attached to that lamb that they lived with for four days. We see it all the time. I mean, it's more than four days, but a, a 4-H kid will get a lamb or, or a calf and raise it for the summer, and, and then sometimes, it never happened with me, but sometimes you see tears when they, when they have to let that lamb go. Because... They know what's gonna they know what's gonna happen to that lamb. I mean, they're not gonna just turn him out to pasture for the rest of his life. He's gonna become food on somebody's table. He will be sacrificed in a sense in order for someone else to live. And even though the disciples all fled during Jesus' trial and his crucifixion, it was it was due to fear, not, be, not because they didn't love him. They loved Jesus deeply. It was fear for their own life. And we, we see later that they are, in fact, willing to die for Jesus. So that fear that they had is transformed into power and courage and boldness after Jesus raises from the dead. I mean, that had to be hard. So much detail and symbolism and, and meaning that occurred in the days leading up to Friday. And it's an important challenge to us, I think, to be sure that we are following Jesus and obeying him for what he's saying, not for what we want him to say or, or for him to be something that we want him to be. No, we need to be submissive to him, not the other way around. And when we, when we find those times when we're confused and we're disillusioned and we, we're kind of looking and blaming God for things, it's not him that needs to change. It's us. It's us. And then Friday came and Jesus was crucified. Now, there are some that say Jesus really wasn't dead. Well, there are a lot of problems with that theory, honestly. Uh, and I, I'm not going to go into the details of the crucifixion this morning. We're going to look at a few of those next week. What I, what I want us to consider next is the fact that many bore witness to Jesus' dead body. 
Many. Death was a part of the Passover. It was necessary, and Jesus did just that. The Lamb's death. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 15. Mark 15, and I want to read verses 37 through 47. Mark 15, 37 to 47, And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Less and of Joseph, and Salome, who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Now when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. And when he found out from the centurion... He granted the body to Joseph. Then he bought fine linen, took him down, and wrapped him in the linen, and he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, observed where he was laid. People are convicted in a court of law with fewer eyewitnesses than than the, the number of people that witnessed Jesus' dead body. Verse 39, the centurion, who was a Roman officer of over a hundred men, bore witness to Pilate that Jesus was dead. He was, a, he was good at executions. He knew what, they knew what they were doing. Verse 40, many women who were followers of Jesus, including Mary Magdalene, the, Mary the mother of James the Less, and of Joseph and Salome, witnessed his death. In verses 42 and 46, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a member, by the way, of the Jewish council, a Pharisee himself, a rich Pharisee no less, took Jesus' dead body from the cross and he buried it. Don't you think that if there had been a breath in Jesus, he wouldn't have buried him? They wouldn't have prepared his body, wrapped him up, put him in a tomb and shut the door? And we also know that Nicodemus, another one of those Pharisees, was a part of this with Joseph of Arimathea. Pilate accepted the testimony of the centurion that Jesus had already been dead for some time in verses 44 and 45. And in fact, we also are told that Jesus was run through the side with a sword, a spear actually. Verse 47, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, witnessed the burial of Jesus. And finally, the crucifixion was a public event. This wasn't behind closed doors. There were lots of other people who watched. There is no doubt Jesus was dead. 
bearing the weight of not just his life, but the sin of the world. He died. Now, Joseph of Arimathea was a public figure who played an important role in the burial of Jesus. His account can be found in each of the four Gospels. And he is called Joseph of Arimathea because they don't want him to get confused with maybe Joseph and Mary, the the parents of Jesus, or another Joseph. We are told that it was Joseph of Arimathea. Matthew 27, 57 through 61 says this, As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb, so they knew exactly where Jesus was born. So that Sunday morning when they go after the Passover celebration is over and they can actually go to the tomb, they know exactly where to go. And after Jesus' death on the cross, Joseph, at great risk to himself and his reputation, went to the Roman governor and requested Jesus' body. We look down on the Pharisees a lot. Again, asking the questions, how could they not get it? And you may have friends who you think, how can you not get it? Well, you know what? There's hope for all of us because there are two Pharisees, Sadducees, members of the ruling council right here in this passage who not only knew Jesus was dead, not only took the effort and stuck their necks out to bury him, but believed that he was the Messiah just as he said he was. They took him down. They they had to hurry They followed the Jewish custom. They wrapped the body in strips of linen. They mixed in myrrh and aloe. However, it was the day of preparation, which was the sixth day of the week, just before the Jewish Sabbath. It was getting late in the day. They had to hurry because, of course, they didn't want to break the Sabbath. So Joseph and Nicodemus hurriedly placed Jesus in Joseph's own tomb, a new tomb, located in a garden near the place of Jesus' crucifixion. Unbeknownst to Joseph and Nicodemus, they are fulfilling prophecy by their actions. Look at Isaiah 53, verse 9. Hundreds of years before Jesus' death, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth one of many prophecies that have confirmed Jesus' identity as the Messiah, the Son of God. Again, I I am sure there were a large number of Pharisees on Friday crying for the crucifixion of Jesus. But these two believed that he was who he said he was. The Messiah, the Savior of the world. What about you? 
What do you believe? I mean, to me, again, (laughs) the preparation over generations, over centuries, from the beginning of time to this moment in time when Jesus would change the universe. God prepared us to see. God showed how big and faithful he is by how he operated and guided people through history. And here we are looking back on what Jesus did. We know the end of the story. We don't have to experience the desperation and and, uh, confusion of Saturday. We can believe. And here's what I want to encourage you to do over the next four days. Think about those four days after Palm Sunday. And maybe, I don't know, maybe have a private Passover celebration of, of your own. You know, thank, giving thanks to God for, for Jesus, for being that Passover lamb. Put yourself in the position of the, of the Hebrews back in, in Egypt, going to bed that night, having, having sacrificed this lamb that they have carried for four days in their home and spread its blood on the doorposts of their home, trusting, trusting that that was going to save them. God says when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in his sacrifice and his resurrection, we will be saved, just as they were back then. Just as they were healed uh, from that plague when the serpent was raised in the wilderness. Let's give thanks to God for Jesus, for being that perfect lamb. Chosen today, Presenting himself today, on this day, a couple thousand years ago. Consider and surrender some of your own incorrect expectations of Jesus. Somebody that I was talking to this morning reminded me of, of the Daring Faith series and, and that, there were, that there's something that God has been working out in their life from that. And I thought, you know, that's, that's so true. Sometimes... We just have to admit that what we expect from God isn't right. And, and I'm discouraged and I'm disillusioned because I'm not seeing Jesus correctly. My prayer is that, that this week as we lead into our celebration Thursday night and, and maybe, maybe you have plans to go to a Good Friday service somewhere and, and, then, and then as we celebrate together on Sunday, the greatest event in the history of the universe, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let Jesus know in special ways this week that you love him and that you believe in him and and, and not just believe in him, but that you simply believe him. Let's believe him. Just as these two Pharisees did. And as so many others after. 
As the worship team comes up, look at this verse up here on the screen again. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. May that be true of us this week as we walk towards the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the the eternal life that we have in him. Let's sing this last song in worship to him.